Hello and welcome to the last Sheffield Digital podcast of 2020, one of the best years ever known. I'm Ian Broom and I'm joined by directors Mel Kanarek and Chris Diamond. Um, how are you both? Um, ask me another on sport, Ian. Okay. <laughs> what sport was able to take place in 2020? Uh, you don't I, have to answer. I think, how am I? I am really, really looking forward to a break over Christmas. And yeah. I expect that everybody on the planet is feeling exactly the same. It's been relentless this year for, for everybody. And everyone I'm talking to is saying the same thing. It's like, I just need to stop for a week or so um, and recharge batteries and switch the brain off mm. um not spend hours every day on zoom calls um so so i'm well and you know and keep yeah. i'm here keeping it all together but uh i think the phrase is absolutely knackered yeah how about you chris yeah empty I, I, you know, it's so, it, you just, I don't know, ever, ever since, even like the, the week or two weeks before the lockdown in March, it's, it's just been absolutely full on. Um, and we haven't really had holidays. We haven't been able to go away anywhere. We haven't been able to just to get away from everything that needs to happen. And, you know, we're both freelance. We, you know, we don't get time off. We don't get paid leave or yeah, any of any of these things we have to we have to make our own buck and make our own way and so so there's all of that has to happen you know how do you get contracts paid how do you get you know win work and and deliver it in a pandemic but of course we're also part of Sheffield Digital and for a you know for a, an organization that's about the economy and trying to um trying to make things grow We've been in high demand for our opinion. We've been involved in lots of efforts to try and keep business going or keep the economy going or support people, connect people, all of these things, you especially, Mel. Um, and so it's just been very demanding. It's been, you know, we've been, we've been dealing with, with external demand for us, um, unpaid, and the demand you know, that we have to get paid and to find new work. And, and so I think also I, I took on a, a load of new projects. A bunch of things kind of went on hold when the first lockdown happened. And so I, I looked in new work and new projects to take on. I started teaching a lot more. I started teaching remotely. Um, and then, of course, at the end of the summer, when, you know, the lockdown started to lift and people, people were returning back to some sense of normal operations in September, all of the things that had been put on hold at the beginning of the lockdown came back, plus all of the new things that I'd taken on as well. So, yeah, it's it's just been very difficult. And with, you know, kids at home for a lot of that period. And, uh, yeah, it's just... Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, I, I, I think we do need to take a moment and acknowledge that, you know, a lot of people have had it a lot harder than we have I mean, you and I have managed to keep work coming yeah. in and an income coming in. You know, I'm thinking about people who are losing their jobs, um, people who lost 
loved ones or people who've been sick themselves, yeah. you know, all that kind of thing. So I, I will say that there's been a lot of, for me personally, a lot of counting of blessings as well, despite how tough it's been and, you know, how sometimes it's been hard to stay positive and to stay, I, I don't know quite how to describe this, to keep finding the energy to keep doing things mm, mm-hmm. in the in the conviction that keeping doing things will have a positive outcome at some point and keeping that motivation going i think has been part of the challenge but at the same time you know i i have been able to stay connected i have been able to carry on doing my work mm-hmm. um i've expanded my network enormously through those demands that you were talking about Chris and you know Mm. that that need to reach out to people to find people who can help with stuff um so so there have been positives as well but I can't can't quite wrap my head around the fact that you know it's nearly the end of the year and practically the whole year has been about COVID and it's turned our everybody's world upside down yeah it's hard it is hard to get your head around i mean in a sense if you know if we'd known i mean we could have predicted but if, if we'd known that we'd be in this situation at this point and it would dominate everything um at the beginning i, I think it, i I think we would have kind of lost lost a bit of motivation a lot sooner. So, oh gosh, yeah, yeah. If someone said, "Guess what's coming, folks? You're going to love this." <laughs> You're going to leave the house a total of twelve times over the next ten months. <laughs> oh lord! Yeah, not quite. That know. Bad, but, you know. Yeah. What about you, Ian? I mean, you've got four small children including one very small child what's yep. that been like i'm i'm fresh as a daisy don't really know what the problem is <laughs> <laughs> you don't look it <laughs> i don't see that's not funny chris because i have found myself going through the instagram feed and thinking crikey a person can age a lot <laughs> that person is i um yeah i'm all right roller coaster complete roller coaster of uh, emotions um, everything that you just said, Mel, of just constantly like counting my blessings and then feeling guilty for feeling stressed and and, uh, and and upset and worried about parents and worried about you know my kids and the business, but then uh, like uh, straight after that, just as a natural personality trait, feeling guilty about worrying about my <laughs> myself mm. and all that stuff. It's like it's it's fairly nonstop. Um, but, but I mean, business-wise, as a freelancer, um, it, I, I think my story is probably similar to a lot of other people's in the tech world or the digital world. It just just sometimes things seem totally normal, everything's fine, and then out of nowhere, you think, "Oh no, I'm about to be affected quite a lot." Um, a lack of control, I think, is probably the biggest biggest thing. I, I've had periods where I've been busier than ever, including the last six weeks. Three weeks before the last six weeks, I. I was down to no work for the first time in like four years and thinking, crikey, what am I actually going to do here? Um, and frantically emailing people and like, you know, going through the process of right. How do I, how do like you said, Chris, how do I get working? And I also realized that a lot of, as a freelancer, a lot of my work had come from um, like being in the same room as other people physically yeah. and like overhearing, 
overhearing conversations with existing clients and saying, I think I could probably do that or, uh, or have you tried this? And they'll say, well, that sounds good. And I'll go, well, I could do it, <laughs> that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, almost I, I suddenly realized as work was naturally falling away and as, as I started to change things to do more childcare, um, that, that 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 kind of wasn't there anymore. And I was like, oh, crikey, I need to send some emails and to uh, make some phone calls. Yeah. You know, and I feel very, very lucky that I've been able to like pick up working, and uh, for the next couple of months, at least, I'm going to be like dead busy again. So it's just a, a different kind of a different kind of stress because uh, um, it's constantly changing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that lack of control, I think, is something that we've all kind of experienced. And I, I obviously can't speak for all freelancers, but it's definitely been something that's affected me, just not quite knowing exactly what to do, um, not how to make a plan, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure it's kept the same for businesses with lots of employees too. Um, but yeah, at the same time, very you know thankful to still be sat here in my shed. Yeah, having a shed has helped. I can tell you yeah. that. Four kids. Well, one of the things actually, you know, one of the things that occurs to me um, is the, the the other source of a, not so much, you know, a lot, a lot of stress, a lot of time is is um, household IT support. <laughs> maintaining all of the systems that are running in this house because my wife's working you know her business has gone completely online she's working out of her office you know all day every day both of my kids have been at home they've been home learning you know the network um we've got airbnb guests in in part of the house that you know they they need their internet some people have come for for a week or more at a time and they, they're working in there as well and you know it's Actually, keeping the network and the and the internet and all of our devices <laughs> running and working um, has been no mean feat, actually. <laughs> you found I, your niche. I, I have a not the challenge of that many people using the network because it's just myself and my partner. But um, people who've been working with me will know that my quote unquote office is above the kitchen and the microwave oven is directly below and because we live in an old cottage with thick walls we use a booster for the wi-fi that runs through the electricity Mm -hmm. cables and so if the microwave goes on the my connection to the internet dies (laughs) and so we've had to work out a system for me to make sure that he knows not to run the microwave if I'm on a very important conference call with a client. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And it's happened a few times. And of course, when it happens, I can't even, you know, put a message in the chat and say, sorry, it'll just be a minute. You're dead at that point. Yeah, it's just like, I freeze. Or or three minutes if it's it's 800. (laughs) 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 Well, it, it depends what he's making as well, so... It's, it's become a slight obsession of mine <laughs> and wanting to sort of you know scream at him don't use the microwave <laughs> but anyway small, small problems become big problems don't they they do should we talk about the sheffield digital at large the community <laughs> the, the the city yeah. Uh, some highlights there's there, there has been like people have done some incredible stuff in very oh. different circumstances so i wondered if you'd got any anything that you wanted to pick out and talk about well i i the thing that just really sticks in my mind about this year is how the adverse you know situations of adversity have just revealed the the power of the community and the generosity of the community 
and just seen so many examples of people helping out or people finding ways to put their technology to use to help other organizations or other businesses. And, you know, I've had several occasions to go to people and say, sorry to come back to you and ask you yet again, but could you help whoever or do you know someone who could help with this? And everybody has been instantly, yes, of course, how can we help? Mm. Happy to do it. I've not had anyone say no. And I think that's, I don't know if that's particularly a digital community thing or particularly a Sheffield community thing, but I'm just in awe. Um, I think I think you're all marvellous out there in this land. Um, and that's that's been a real highlight for me. Chris? Yeah, likewise. I mean, what, one of the things I guess that's it's been amazing is how many things have carried on or, be, you know, how many things have found a way to carry on. Mm. Um, yeah, that we look back over the summer and, and some of the things that we thought might not happen. I mean, we, we, we just, uh, we're just about to publish our um, kind of first ecosystem update um, in a while, in a year or so. Um, and one of the things that I, that I was doing as part of that was, was looking at some of the data through our website uh, just to kind of get an impression of, of how COVID had affected things. And, you know, we can see if we look at the um, look at the data on jobs, for example, how many job adverts have been posted to our job board um, and how much attention those jobs have received. So how many, you know, as an indicator of how many people are looking for work. Um, you know, we can see a dip and then a recovery. Um, in fact, you know, there was a bounce back in October that was really strong. So mm-hmm. suddenly the number of job adverts on the board, even they, they never dipped much lower than kind of the lowest point last year. So it wasn't as if they just dropped off entirely. Um, but they did, uh, you know, there was such a, an obvious upward trend at the back end of last year and the beginning of this year. Like January and February really were the, the most, uh, you know, the, the the highest volume months across so many different metrics around the, the tech ecosystem here. You know, we really, you know, just in terms of like, you know, um, office occupancy or co-working and, you know, the number of new companies that were springing up and the amount of in, uh, inward investment attention there was and, you know, really felt like we were going into 2020 on, a, on kind of a, a bit of a wave because there were so many new things in the ecosystem that were driving interest and activity. And then a lot of that just kind of fell off a cliff, but it, it didn't fall back to nothing. It fell back to kind of the lowest points of last year. Um, and then jobs in, in October bounced right back up again, almost to, to where they had been in February. So almost back to record levels of new jobs. I think people were holding off and holding off and holding off. And then sort of come September, they decided actually, you know, things are getting back to normal. We, you know, we, everything's starting to, to loosen up. So let's start hiring again. But the, the one thing that didn't recover was events. Hmm. So, you know, the number of meetups, I mean, a lot of meetups carried on. Obviously, we, we, we made Zoom available to all of the meetups for free, um, uh, you know, to try and encourage meetups to carry on because we knew that that kind of um, communication would, would drop off. You know, those conversations that you were talking about, Ian, of picking up work just through happening to sort of neb in on a conversation that was going on or, you know, through that kind of... Um, 
you know, sort of spillover effect, they call it sometimes in economic development, where, where uh, information just kind of um, gets picked up uh, just through the environment. None of that was happening. So, uh, and, and quite a few of, of the, the meetups did carry on, um, but a lot of them didn't, and a lot of formal events didn't. But things like Startup Summer at the Institute of Coding at University of Sheffield, that carried on. Um, there was, you know, the, the, the conference on, um, uh, on advertising in the game, uh, advertising education in the games industry, Sumo's big conference, that, that went ahead. Of course, the festival happened, you know, delayed but online, but, you know, got lots of attention. So, so, yeah, I think in terms of highlights, it was just seeing all of these things still happen, you know, and there was always something going on or something to look forward to. Mm. You know, it never felt as if things had just stopped. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned here in the document that we share uh, about the public sector as well, uh, the public sector uh, embracing digital in a way that perhaps they were yeah. struggling to for many years. Um, I, I happen to have worked on like two or three public sector jobs this year in a way that I probably wouldn't n- normally have done. And um, I've seen it, like the entire like huge organisations all, all suddenly have to work from home. It's like a massive IT uh, restructuring operation yeah. Yeah. Um, with lots of individual people with lots of individual needs who are you know many of who are, have been in the same role potentially for many many years and used to very kind of rigid IT structures and um, you know seeing people um, you know on a, on a kind of like a front end level so as opposed to like the infrastructure bit mm. seeing people like right how does teams work and I've been through it myself, still not entirely sure, but there we go. Um, you know, embracing stuff like Slack, stuff, stuff that I think maybe in the in the like, private sector would people like the kind of tools that were being used on a regular basis anyway, kind of being suddenly embraced. Things like um, Miro and Mural and Trello, things like collaborative tools to get mm-hmm. the kind of work done that you would probably have done in endless meetings, perhaps, that kind of thing, uh, if you're in, in, in an office together. So I've kind of seen it a bit on the front end, but... Um, uh, but yeah, it, 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 I don't. What, what's uh, what made you? I don't, who put that in the document? And what made you put it in? <laughs> Guilty, <laughs> right? I think I think there's several layers to it. I mean, there there is the fact that an awful lot of people who never imagined that they would work from home found themselves working from home, and an awful lot of organisations had to adjust to that and recognise that actually you can still operate. Um, you can trust your people, uh, you can still collaborate, you can still share things, all that kind of thing. So there was that um, that layer of actual experiencing it for yourself. But I think for me, it, it feels as though the penny has dropped about the role that digital can play in the economy of a city, of a city region. And while in the past it's sort of been talked about in silos or talked about it almost as a nice to have, now suddenly it's like, oh, yeah, actually digital skills are really important and are going to be really important as we move into recovery and renewal and digital adoption. So, you know, businesses that aren't using digital apart from having email and and a website, you know, actually it's going to make a huge difference to them and their ability to recover. You know, digital is going to play a whole, a huge role in what the future of the leisure industry and the hospitality industry and the uh, retail industry look like. And it, it was all brought home 
mm. through real experience rather than being something that people talked about in the abstract. Um, so as a result, I mean, I've talked about this on a, a few of our podcasts during this year, you know, Chris and I have, have been going to meetings where Sheffield Digital is there because suddenly people think, oh, we really need to get our heads around this digital stuff and we need people who can help us do that, as opposed to, oh, it's probably polite to have Sheffield Digital there. Mm. Um, and um, what's encouraged me is that people want to learn and they want to understand. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of time answering questions and trying to give people a bit more depth of perspective that, you know, when I start banging on about digital in the economy, what mm. am I really talking about? Uh, so I find that encouraging. Yeah, definitely. I think the kind of mental switch that we've been talking about for a decade now, really, mm. might, have, might have happened. I mean, you know, when we first started doing this kind of stuff, you know, it was it was when the LEP was first um, put together. It was a, a creative and digital industry sector group. You know, digital was seen as a sector. It was seen as related to the creative industries and, a, and as an, an economic sector. Um, and I, I remember, our, you know, not arguing, but making the point in some, you know, some of these quite large meetings, where, you know, at the beginning um, of the LEP, saying, you know, digital is not an economic sector, it's not an industry per se, it's a realm of human activity. So all of the different businesses and sectors that are represented in the physical world are also represented in the digital world. And if you conduct all of those transactions and communications digitally, you change the dynamic of those, of those transactions. You can suddenly trade with, with people at a distance where, you know, the cost of communication and transacting is suddenly, you know, approaching zero. You know, like all of the, the frictions and the, and the dynamics of how that, how that interaction works, whether it's a commercial interaction or a social interaction or whatever it is, are different because you're doing it through a different medium. And it's really about, you know, the migration of, a, of, a, of, of industries with lots of different sectors, you know, manufacturing and, and uh, export businesses and service businesses and all of these things into a realm where that has a different set of affordances, a different set of dynamics. And, and I, you know, I've tried to make that point countless times to get them to understand that actually, you know, some of the some of the kind of advice they were giving businesses about digitizing needed to take in take account of the fact that their business would be not just transformed in terms of things that they understood, but transformed in ways they didn't understand and can take advantage of, mm. and and that that required experimentation and it required a kind of a, a different approach to it where. You might want to try things out at first to see what works and what doesn't work and not just invest a huge amount of money up front and expect to get the results that are predicted. You know, these kind of things that, um, you know, that seem obvious to us because we're, we're steeped in it, but are not obvious to, to other people at all. I think now they are. I think people mm -hmm. are really starting to get that, understand how it's different, how, you know, once you move all of this stuff into a, into a digital medium it opens so much so much up it allows you to communicate at such distance it allows you to hire people from other areas you know all of these things have a big effect so and then of course i mean you know the, the other the other big side of this the public sector are trying to get this i think economic development people are starting to get this obviously business is getting this but for me i, I spent the last 18 months involved in ed tech 
you know, trying to trying to develop a a pr proposal around leveraging Sheffield's capability in learning technologies, digital learning technologies, uh, into something that is nationally or internationally significant. Um, and I've been working with Ty Goddard at the Education Foundation, uh, who set up EdTech UK as a as a lobbying and advocacy organisation. They produce the EdTech Fifty, um, which celebrates the fifty. Um, you know, 50 practitioners in ed tech uh, around the country every year. Um, and yeah, we've been working pretty solidly <laughs> 18 months uh, to do a scoping exercise to understand what it would mean to, to create a national centre for ed tech in Sheffield for the city region and for the country. And, you know, when we started doing this work, there was no pandemic and schools were not very good at ed tech. There were a few outstanding schools and a few schools that, that you know, really were, were starting to take advantage of, of the capabilities that, that digital technologies afford education at scale. And um, but the vast majority, I mean, there was, I think when, when the DfE did their first sort of post-lockdown review, there were um, 10,000 schools in England that had no capability to do remote teaching at all. So that was a challenge that, that, that education nationally was faced with. Education split amongst the home countries as well. So Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland are different. They have different policy and, and governance than, than England. So it's, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about what went on specifically in each of them but in England certainly that that was the situation that the DfE was faced with and and of course you know the the pandemic has completely transformed um, the significance of ed tech in national policy um, and you know a bit like you know our local business and economic and public sector leaders coming to us and wanting advice on how to cope with this with a lockdown and with a pandemic and how to start to, to um, deploy digital properly. It's kind of been the same from an education and edtech point of view nationally. Um, you know, Thai certainly has been pulled off onto all of these major national projects to try and um, upskill and uh, develop schools. Um, you know, as part of the um, edtech demonstrator schools program that was massively expanded. Um, to, to try and, you know, enable provision, provide laptops and technology to, to school kids and families around the country, to up to train teachers, to uh, improve school infrastructure, uh, you know, all of these kind of, all of these kind of things. It's, it's been turmoil, but at the same time, as we come out of it, we're now at a completely different level of maturity than we were a year ago. Utterly, utterly different both in terms of what is what is available in, from an infrastructure point of view and, and people's knowledge and ability to deploy point of view, but, but just from policy and how significant it is and how the industry is now regarded, uh, you know, by, by government and, and by senior policymakers. It, it's, it's an utterly different landscape now. So looking forward to next year. Everything's going to be fine, right? You're going to tell me that, aren't you? <laughs> yes, Ian, everything will be fine. You can trust me. I'm a PR. <laughs> <laughs> What's going to happen? What's, what do you, um, I mean, we, we have, we have over, the, over the year, I think, done our best to 
what, how can you describe it? It's report back, log the effects of the pandemic on Sheffield's digital sector as much as we possibly can in this, in this venue. Um, how do you anticipate 2021 going? I think the, the biggest thing is going to be the continued uncertainty until we get a sense of the likely rollout of vaccines um, we're going to be faced with this continued cycle of lockdowns, relaxation, back into, you know, mm. higher tiers, whatever. Um, there, there's just no escaping that. It's, it's the way a pandemic works. I think we have to mention the B word, yeah. you know, with, with that coming as well. That's going to layer a whole other set of unknowns on onto the economy in general. Mm. And it's inevitable, you know, the digital industries are part of the economy. There is going to be knock-on impact. I think we can take some comfort in the fact that we've seen the resilience of the digital industries through the pandemic. So I'm hopeful that that resilience will continue but it's nigh on impossible to plan at the moment. I mean, Ian, you mentioned that just from your own freelance point of view. You know, if you extrapolate to that to people who are running large businesses, it's, it's that whole uncertainty and lack of control that I think is going to continue to be an enormous challenge. I think people will continue to rise to the challenge. I think we'll see the same level of creativity and community-mindedness and development of new products and services and all that kind of thing but I think we're all going to need to be very strong and very brave and look out for each other I think the mental health issues around uh, the isolation and the stress of the pandemic we haven't really started to uncover those yet Mm. and the inequalities that are being highlighted by the pandemic but also exacerbated i think we're going to see a lot more of that i mean it's it's marvelous to know that you know there are organizations in the city that have come together and created the laptop for kids program so you know laptops are getting out to to disadvantaged children but i think that's probably a drop in the ocean and we're Mm. going to have to look at how do we scale those sorts of programs how do we support people so I I don't want to be doom and gloom because I I I don't think that's constructive or or helps anybody out. I think yeah being courageous and being strong and continuing to help each other out is is what most of 2020 is going to look like. Hmm. Yeah, I think I mean Sorry, there's, 21. There's, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean like if if uh the, 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 some, of, some of the worst case scenarios are that actually uh, the uncertainty is preventing businesses from making certain decisions. And actually, if Brexit goes ahead, whatever, the, whatever the, the deal or no deal is, if it goes ahead, if the vaccine starts to, you know, to allow um, COVID restrictions to relax, 
are businesses going to decide to leave the UK? Are they going to decide to relocate their operations abroad? Uh, because at the moment, the pandemic and uncertainty over Brexit is probably preventing them from making that decision. I know a lot, obviously lots of industries have made that decision. There are, there are regulatory issues that are insurmountable, so they've got much more kind of confidence about making that decision. But there are certainly tech, tech companies that are now looking at the picture and thinking, do we stay you know, headquartered in the UK or do we shift our headquarters to Paris or Frankfurt or somewhere else? Um, and obviously we have you know, some of our larger OEMs that are active in the city, like Arm and Autodesk. Um, you know, BT obviously aren't going to do that. I mean, it would be hard for British Telecom to be headquartered anywhere other than in the UK, I think. But, uh, you know, th th there's potential that they decide to relocate. That, mm. you know, and certainly Boeing and, and, and other large employers, um, we don't know what they're going to do yet. There, 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 are, there are, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not un unlikely or impossible that they'll just decide to relocate to, to places that are, that are still connected to, uh, you know, the global supply chain and, and, um, and trade. Um, so, so ironically, like the, the, you know, COVID restrictions lifting and the economy starting to free up could actually have a detrimental effect on our, on our local economy because some companies might then decide actually now, now we, you know, we can, we can relocate, we can move. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that would be the worst case. The, 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 the best case is that, that actually all of the things that were, that were in motion at the beginning of the year are still alive and are going to go back to work and are going to, are going to pick up where they left off. You know, the, the, the city centre office space is, is going to be completely reimagined. It's going to free up a lot of space. The uses that, that space is being put to or going to be put to are going to change. People are maybe no longer going to all work in the same office together all of the time, but share their time. Sheffield, as, like, as a city made of lots of neighbourhoods, I can well imagine it's going to see an explosion in local local workplaces, co-working spaces in the neighbourhoods and in the suburbs that, that people can go and, and take advantage of um, rather than working from home or commuting long distances. Um, so I, I think just the sense of how the city is going to be used and all of that is likely to change. And I think we're going to start to see that change from the new year. And I think wherever there's change like that, there is opportunity and there's there's new opportunity for employment and business and and you know economic wheels to turn and i think that that redistribution into the suburbs into some of the areas that are that are kind of maybe a bit more neglected in the city could have some really positive effects you know it could bring work to those places and through work also retail and and you know other investment in the local economy yeah it would be really good because for me Sheffield Digital always feels quite city centre centric yeah. and it would be good to see the industry spread out to the the district centres and the different neighbourhoods mm. um, you know I'm also hopeful that Sheffield Digital will will strengthen connections into the rest of South Yorkshire I mean mm. we have you know a good connection to Barnsley but there's Rotherham and Doncaster as well and um, that's certainly something I'll be looking at I think we are going to see investment in digital skills yeah. that we've been calling for for a long time. Um, and I think the, you know, the attention of the people holding the funding will move in that direction. Mm -hmm. I also think we're going to see 
um, more investment into the startup ecology of the city yeah. and encouraging more um I don't like the phrase high value startups, but in other words, the, the sorts of businesses that create uh, rewarding long term employment uh, with, you know, a progression route and that yeah. kind of thing. I think, well, I'm hopeful that, that cash will eventually flow to support those kinds of things. I mean, we've seen a number of accelerators keep going, go virtual, things mm-hmm. like the um, AWRC, Health yeah. and Wellbeing Accelerator. A great success has you know and you know it'd be really interesting to see what happens to the companies who've been through that accelerator mm. and what they go on to do i know there are plans to do iot tribe in barnsley again mm. even if it has to happen virtually mm. um you know twinkle hive just took off didn't yeah. it and and has done amazing stuff so and then we've got the team sy project mm-hmm. which will bring other sorts of accelerators and and startup programs into the city region so there's there's going to be that kind of good stuff going on mm. and it'll be it'll be really interesting to do to do this again this time next year and yeah. perhaps listen back to what we said and see how good our predictions were <laughs> Yeah, I mean, on, on paper, there's so much more to come as well, you know, because, uh, you know, as, as well as you know, all that investment in the startup ecosystem, a lot of this is being driven by the thinking around the the new strategic economic plan that's come out of the of Sheffield City region, out of the combined authority and mayor's office and the LEP. Um, and there is a recognition, I think, across regional policy that the previous strategic economic plan was focused on jobs. Um, but by doing so, by measuring itself on number of jobs created, it had no provision for the quality of those jobs. And so as a result, they, you know, they've attracted a whole load of uh, logistics companies, um, you know, a, a lot of employment. They hit their employment targets, but the vast majority of that employment is... Um, precarious yeah it's not well paid um it's not full it's not full-time you know it's uh, it, it's it's got a lot of people into employment but but it, not, it, not career employment yeah and, so and there's a recognition of that and the, the new draft economic plan that we went through in september through the public consultation um and provided a lot of feedback on is is very overtly around creating proper careers high value jobs investing in in companies that are likely to produce those jobs um, and that means investing in startups and it inv- means investing in good connectivity so that's the other side of it i think there's going to be a big investment in fiber um, and fibering up the you know the rest of the city region um, which is long overdue but i think that's just like we were saying in terms of public sector recognizing the value of digital i think you know digital connectivity is absolutely fundamental to that and it needs to be inclusive there's even talk um i probably shouldn't say this but there's even talk of lighting up the ducting that was created as part of the digital region project i kid you not (laughs) because it was put in places that weren't well served by yeah by the big commercial providers wouldn't wouldn't it be great to finally utilize that in enormous investment 
Yeah, start to recoup some of the millions of pounds. Yes. That went to the company. <laughs> okay, move us on, Ian. Quick, move us on. <laughs> I shall. I'll move us on quickly. Um, well, and 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 very briefly, because I think I'm, I, I can't quite see how long we've been talking for. But um, I was going to say it feels like a long time then, but that's not quite the right phrase, is it? <laughs> um, I thought it would be good to just give a sort of a brief finale uh, by talking about Sheffield Digital's plans. I mean, you two have been running the show from home. Um, well done. Uh, what's the plan? Are we? Uh, you're obviously going to have to continue doing this. I wondered if there was anything specific in the diary, like any any sort of like milestones that you want to try and hit as Sheffield Digital. Um, any kind of um, updates on memberships, that kind of thing, we or maybe have an AGM maybe... next year. Say again. It'd be good to have an AGM next year. We didn't have an AGM this year. We didn't. No, it's, it's just a biannual AGM. That's all. <laughs> you just changed just changed its title. <laughs> um. Well. The, for the Sheffield Digital Festival, uh, we're going to sit down and talk about this properly in January. But what we are th- kicking around at the moment is doing it another virtual one in May and then hopefully a hybrid one in November or, well, spring and autumn. That's kind of what we're thinking because the, the virtual one went really well and I think you know, there, there was appetite and, and interest in what we were able to do. So we kind of like to build on that. Um, but at the same time, it would be really nice to all get together again, at least for some of the events. So so that's one of the, the things that's on my radar. The other thing is um, the the work that we've done this year has really raised our profile in the city region. So Sheffield Digital is on a lot more radars and that gives us a jumping off point to start talking about, okay, how about some serious investment now? How about supporting us to become a fully fledged organization that can afford to recruit people? Mm. Um, So I fully expect to be having those sorts of conversations you know, early on in the new year, particularly as funding from central government starts to flow down to the combined authority. Uh, so watch this space. I'm I'm certainly on a mission to uh, see if we can grow Sheffield Digital. Uh, and what would the impact of that be on Sheffield's digital companies and individuals? Well, my hope would be that it would, would be really, really positive for all of them. I mean, we won't do things unless they're going to be positive for the companies and the individuals who, who work in digital in, in Sheffield and the whole of the city region. Yeah, I assumed um, it would be a positive impact, but I, could, I wonder if, it's like, if, there was that, if there was more resources available, what kind of things, uh, like, what kind of like, well, uh, impact might it make? So, for example, actually being able to help facilitate a really strong region-wide engagement between digital businesses and education in a way that's frictionless for the businesses so it's really easy to get involved and then that helping to start to build a much stronger pipeline of talent local talent that would you know that where the businesses were interacting with the younger people early on um so yeah the whole whole skill side of things attracting um being able to run programs that would attract a much more diverse variety of people into our industry. Um, 
those sorts of things are always really, really important. Supporting the various startup accelerators and connecting them in with local businesses so that there's more opportunity for collaboration, developing new products and services. Um, wow, you've got me going on my shopping list now. <laughs> waving. Please, please jump in, Chris. Well, I was going to say that the, 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 we always, there's always this balance between what's good for businesses and what's good for individuals. And you know, one, of the, one of the things that we've always tried to do is that we've tried to, 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 um, to, you know, to engage with, with both and provide value for both as a community, but also as, a, as an association, a trade body, essentially advocating on behalf of the industry and, and you know, businesses here. Um, so m- my view of it is that, is that a richer environment is better for everybody. You know, the more opportunity you've got as an individual, the more opportunity you've got to, you know, to work for different companies. For one thing, it drives salaries up. So I mean, maybe the most, the, the most significant thing you know, is that the more, the more competition there is and the more businesses there are that are hiring, the more people are likely to get paid for doing those jobs. So you know, there's, there's long been a, di- a difference in average salary between Leeds and Sheffield and Manchester and Sheffield. We would, we would close that gap. We would begin to, 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 to close that gap. So, so I mean, that's, that's the most kind of like instrumental benefit, like, you know, the, basically the cost of working, you know, the, the, the cost of hiring would, would go up because the competition would be greater. We'd be bringing more people in, but there would be you know, a, a larger pool means more competition for the, for the best talent and people with experience. Um, but it also means it's a richer environment. So, so more things to go to, more interesting things, interesting applications of technology, you know, more interesting companies, um, more events, more meetups, more, more festivals, more, more things to go and, and, uh, and get involved in. Um, and then from an individual point of view, one of the things that I, I, we really want to concentrate next year is doing more on an individual member basis, but, you know, for the community. I mean, for one, obviously the, the Slack community is, you know, I was just saying this the other day, it's just an amazing thing. You know, people that I've invited into it recently have just been astonished that you've got this huge community of professionals that are all talking to each other and helping each other out. So, you know, the, the ability to do that we want to make more of it we want to get more people involved and you know make it a, a, a place that people can really meet and do things together as well um i think there's a huge opportunity that we've never had the time to exploit which is to provide um benefits to individual men- members so discounts on things you know access to stuff just you know stuff that we can negotiate because we've now got a lot more profile and clout um, you know, I mean, a lot of people, I guess, don't even know some of the things that you get as a member. Like, you know, you get 10% off all of your Apple repairs at iRepair store, for example, or iRepair stop on Eppleton Road. You know, there's lots of other deals that we can do to give value to our members specifically, our individual members. And then the other thing that we want to do is, at, at the moment, the majority of our income comes from our, our, um, our businesses, our company um, membership contributions obviously they're, they're larger than the individual contributions and so that's what we use you know to to pay ian for example and and you know the uh, and claire and sarah and and you know do our content and all of that kind of stuff um but we, we want to ring fence the contributions that individuals are making and use that money to 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 set up um things that are going to that, that, that you know that our members want their money to be invested in 
you know our individual members might you know that that money because because the money we get from companies we're investing back in the ecosystem to try and try and encourage the industry and encourage more more business more companies more startups more events more more things to go on the money that comes from individuals we can now afford to ring fence it and use it for things that provide value back to those members now the question is and we've, we've kind of put this question out there and surveyed our membership um, is whether those things should be tangible benefit to our members or whether they should be, um, you know, things that are almost like charitable, whether they should be around, you know, helping, helping kids, for example, that are into computers, but are, you know, are, are not able to access any or get good teaching or, you know, can we, can we you know, help use that money to help them engage and you know bring them in and 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 support them in uh in their interests for example you know and that's that conversation has kind of been a little bit on the uh on the back back foot uh you know over the last few months as there's been so many policy discussions but one of the things it will allow us to do is to get back to, to that and to and to set out what we want to do with them with individual member contributions and how how we can better provide value to to our individuals that you know have long supported us and supported what we do. Marvelous. Took took a while for you to think of the first thing, Mel. But once you both got going, it sounds like quite a <laughs> quite quite a feast of opportunity. <laughs> um, I think it was the question of what to pick out first. Rather. Yes, uh, that's it. Twenty twenty is finished. Podcast wise. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, Mel and Chris, for your marvellous contributions. And we should say thank you to everybody who's taken their time out of a quite ludicrous year to uh, be interviewed by us over the last few months. We've managed to keep up more or less our usual schedule. Um, So thanks to all of our guests. If you want to go and listen to any of those episodes, they're all on the internet, as you might imagine. You can find them in Apple Podcasts, places like that. But we also post them to the website. So you can go to sheffield.digital slash podcast, and there is a fancy player in there. Uh, which is provided by Captivate, um, a Sheffield company that hosts podcasts. It's all in there. Every episode, go back and listen to the archive. Mm-hmm. Go, go. It's a Christmas, some Christmas fun. Go back to number one and see how the world, how the world changes, and how we change too. Um, anything to add, which you two? Which episode is this in? Which episode are we on? Chris, I've managed to get through this entire episode without mentioning what episode number it is for fear of extreme rudeness. It's episode sixty-nine. And now that what you've done, I don't understand why that's rude. It's not. It's not Mel. Perfect. Um, thanks for ending it like that. <laughs> what a typically twenty twenty way to end the year, Chris. Thank you. I genuinely didn't know. I, just to say, I had no idea. I genuinely, genuinely had no idea what episode. This Read your show notes, Chris. Sixty nine, dude. <laughs> um, I just want to wish everybody a very, very happy Christmas. Stay well. Stay safe. Eat loads good advice see you all next year